as we begin Holy Week together. Let us continue our worship today uh, in our scripture reading. And today we're actually reading a long portion of scripture. And so if uh, you need to move a little bit so that you can see the screen, if you're welcome to, to, to move a little bit. Those of you who are online, uh, the words may be a little smaller, so on, on our smaller screen, and you may want to use your scriptures. As we look together in Nehemiah 9, uh, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah together, and we're going to see how it relates to us even as we come into this Palm Sunday uh, celebration. Today, I do want to invite you to almost pray this prayer. It's a prayer in Nehemiah 9. The Levites and all of the leaders gathered the people together and they recounted the history of God and today and his work among the people. So today, as we read through this passage, let's remember, let's remember our God who is constantly at work in the lives of his people as we read this prayer, Nehemiah, beginning in verse 5. The prayer says, Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise, because you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all of the starry host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that's in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the lands of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry. Uh, at the Red Sea, you sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all of his officials and all of the people of the land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them, and you made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and are good and right. Degre- decrees that are, and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and you gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land that you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they... Our ancestors, they became arrogant and stiff-necked. They didn't obey your commands. They refused to listen. They failed to remember your miracles that you performed among them. They became stiff-necked. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to slavery. But you are forgiving God gracious, compassionate, you're slow to anger, and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path. 
nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way that they were to take. You gave them your good spirit to instruct them. You didn't withhold your manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting them even the remotest frontiers. Skipping to verse 25, they captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells that were already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient. They rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were depressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hands of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But they became arrogant and they disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them, and by your spirit you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of neighboring peoples. But... But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Let's pray. Father, we heard the story of how time after time you have been gracious and compassionate where we have done wrong and we have sinned and we have become stubborn and we turned our backs on you. God, show us through your word your great love your compassion, and seal us, seal us to your will, to your ways. You be our God. Lead us, Lord. We pray all of these things in the name of our Savior and our King, Jesus the Lord. Amen. Well, today uh, we're going to continue this service. Uh, we're looking at Nehemiah, but before we do, we need to recognize that it is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, the, the, the day that commemorates when Jesus came uh, into Jerusalem, beginning that last week of his earthly life and ministry before the crucifixion, before his resurrection, before his triumph. So much of the Gospels is devoted to that time. We're just looking at a quick verse. Look at Luke 19 with me. 
on one of these trips into Jerusalem, as he was coming in there in his life, he came and went that last week quite a bit. It says in verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. The king of glory, the Lord of all creation, the one by whom and for whom the universe was made. When he saw the condition yet again of God's people, he wept and said, If you, even you, you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. There's a whole sermon right there. How this world... And how even us in our lives, we ignore the goodness and the grace of God. We ignore what would be right and good for us. And instead, focus on our own things. Focus on what we think would bring us peace. Jesus is coming. Hosanna. Save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, as he looked at the city, wept. And said, it's hidden from your eyes. You know, for us, I think, so often the workings of God are hidden in our lives. It distracts us from what really he wants to accomplish in us. And sometimes we need to step back. You see, it just seems like this swirling, swirling tornado. And we need to step back to see what's really happening. We feel like the world is just moving and there's problems. And they keep coming up and coming up. And we think, what is going on? I don't understand. And this year, and this year and a half almost now, has become even more more that way as we're thinking what is going on both in our personal lives in a nation that is in turmoil and trying to figure out what in the world has been going on and has been under the surface and its stuff is churning up and I'm thankful for some of the move of God right now in our nation to bring to justice things that need to be brought to justice to bring to light things that need to be brought to light but it is difficult and it is a churning it seems like a swirl our hearts are swirling. If we step back, I think we can see a pattern. I think we can see a pattern. We can see that in all of, the, uh, of uh, and I'm not going to go into the science of it because I'm not really a scientist, but we can see um, uh, you know, the, the, these sequences of numbers, these patterns in, in the way the plants grow, in the way, in the, way uh, the shells are formed for certain uh, uh, creatures of the sea kind of thing. We see these patterns mathematically that are worked out. We see patterns in all of creation. We see patterns in the character of God and in ourselves. Prayers like we just read from Nehemiah reveal the pattern. They reveal the pattern of who God is and sometimes who we are. Uh, First, I want you to see that the the pattern is very simply this. One, God has stubbornly, maybe you prefer relentlessly, maybe you prefer persistently, but quite quite honestly, I think it's just straight stubbornly. God has been moving through history. God has been accomplishing his purpose. He's executing his plan. But here's what else I saw in that prayer. I don't know if you saw this, but I saw it. Humanity is stubborn. We stubbornly resist God's best. We resist his plans for us. We resist his will. But I don't want you to miss this third point because this probably, and this is one of those theologically profound points. I mean, I worked a long time on this. So I really, as I was thinking through this week, I've worked, this is, now this is just the truth. You can write this one down. God is more stubborn. 
I'm just going to go ahead and let you know the secret. I'm going to, I'm going to answer the question, what is this sermon all about? The stubbornness of God. God is, is more stubborn than you. You think you're going to win. You think you're going to have your way. You think it's going to work out the way you want to. God is going to have his way. Let's look at the scripture together. Let's look at this prayer in Nehemiah. Let's look at it for just a few moments and let's see how this pattern emerges. Number one, God is stubbornly executing his plan through history. In verse six, it says, you alone are the Lord. Stop with me there for a second. You alone are the Lord. It's not you and somebody else, right? It's not you and me, God. Let's be, we'll make a partnership, Lord. Let's work this out. No, God is God and you're not. He is working out his plans. He gives life to everything. And the multitudes of heaven worship him. I mean, beings and creatures we don't even know about, powerful angels, they bow before him and are like, holy, holy, holy. I mean, they're backing up, covering faces, covering feet. They know the Lord is Lord. He is creator. He gives life to everything. God is God. I think if we got that one right probably everything else would fit into place. Just recognize that Jesus is Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter just says, reminds us again, set apart in your heart Christ as Lord. Verse 7, you're the Lord God who chose Abram. Remember God was working out a plan, a plan to make a people, a plan to make a people that were his very own, a plan to redeem humanity from their sin. He started back in Genesis chapter 12. Well, he started before that. He started with creation. But in chapter 12, we see the actions of God. He chose Abraham, brought him out. He says, you made a covenant, an agreement with him. What was that in that agreement? Look at verse three. It's not just to bless Abraham. But it says in verse 3 that all of the peoples and the earth would be blessed through you. Abraham was one guy. He was a rich guy. He did some things that were good. He did some things that were not so good. But let me tell you, Abraham himself probably wasn't the biggest blessing. He was okay in his day. But the world, all of humanity, from creation till this point, has been blessed through him and his descendant. His descendant, Jesus, right? All of the world is blessed through him. We see all the way back in Genesis this revelation that God was going to send a son. He was going to send a savior. He was going to send one for us. Well, you might know the story. I hope you do. It's a story of how that people, uh, uh, descendants of Abraham, ultimately ended up in slavery. Millions of them stuck in Egypt. Remember, God is relentless. God is persistent. He was executing his plan. And it says in verse 9 that God saw that suffering and redeemed and brought the people out. It says that he made a name for himself which remains to this day. This God who saved the people through these wonders and signs against Pharaoh, some of those wonders and signs pointed to Jesus. The Passover lamb this week is Passover week too, you know that, right? This week that we celebrate, the week that Jesus went to the cross, was the same week that Jews year after year would celebrate and commemorate the fact that God brought the people out of Egypt, that they sacrificed a lamb, putting the blood over the doorpost so that their firstborns would be saved, so that they would be delivered out of slavery. God was symbolizing the fact that he was sending his firstborn to be the Passover lamb, the perfect sacrifice to die for our sins so that we would be passed over over. Our sins would not be counted against us. They would be paid for. 
Our God is persistent. Our God is consistent. Our God is finishing the calling and the purpose that he has set out to do. The purpose of making us one people through Jesus. It says he came down in verse 13. He spoke to them. He gave them the laws uh, through his servant Moses. He came down. He spoke to us. Now you realize that when John talks about Jesus, it says that he came down and made his dwelling or tabernacle among us in John chapter 1. God came down and spoke to us through his son, Jesus. This has all been part of his plan. In fact, Moses himself prophesied about the plan that Jesus would come. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, who will come from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my word in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command. If you go back and read John chapter 6, it's really clear. Jesus is that prophet who was to come, but so much more than just a prophet. He was that son of God, the incarnate one, the one by whom and for whom the universe was made. God was predicting through Moses, through the events of the Passover, through his words and his promise, even to Abram, who became Abraham, that he would make him a father of a multitude, a father of many nations, a father of all peoples, not through Abraham, but through his descendant, Jesus, the one who would bring all people to himself. God has been stubbornly, consistently, persistently making his plan known in the world. But in that prayer, I also saw something. I saw how stubborn we are. Did you hear it? As the, as the Levites and the leaders prayed, did you hear? Stiff-necked, stubborn. Here we go. Let's look at verse 16. They, our ancestors, they became arrogant, thinking they were self-sufficient, we can solve it all. Let's just make a vaccine. We can figure out how to get that boat out of the Suez Canal. We'll, we'll get it fixed. We'll, we'll, we'll get, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, they became arrogant. They didn't obey. They didn't listen. They became stiff-necked. In fact, so badly they wanted to return to slavery. Jesus said everyone who sins is a slave to sin. John chapter 8. Are we those that are just like these? Stubbornly going back to slavery? The people did it again and again. But so quickly, you can't think of the history of God without immediately going back to this truth, that God is more stubborn. Look at verse 17. But you are a forgiving God. You are gracious. You are compassionate. You are slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. And let me tell you, they deserve desertion. They deserve to be abandoned because verse 18 says, even when they cast an idol for themselves, a calf, a golden calf, and said, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt. You realize that it wasn't like very long, days, weeks, Moses is up on the mountain, 40 days up on the mountain, that people are like, how about idol worship? I mean, sure, those miracles were cool that we just saw, a party in the Red Sea, that was pretty awesome, but I don't know, let, let's, have, let, let's have a festival, let's do our own kind of worship, let, let, let's create an idol. How quickly they abandoned and committed awful blasphemies. God could have ended it right there. But it says in verse 19, but because your great compassion, you didn't abandon them, and instead you did the opposite. It says day and night, you guided them. Day and night, you directed them. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. 
this people who wandered in the wilderness, they saw God's presence daily. They deserved nothing. But God was more stubborn. He just kept showing his love. He kept giving his direction. Now, maybe we need to bring this back to Do you have a stubborn person in your family? <laughs> You're all thinking somebody, right? You're all thinking about it. Now, I, I, I got to reduce this down. There's only two in mine, right, right? In my little immediate family. It's me and my wife. And I am not going to tell you which one of us is the stubborn one. Um, <clears throat> The story is told of one of us uh, that uh, her mother says that, um, I'm not telling you which one, Uh, her mother says that when she was little, um, in, you know, preschool age, and she would be disobedient, would have to be sent to her room and told to stay there. I'm not telling you which one of us is, but she (laughs) would open the door and she would keep walking back out of that room. Finally, her mom had to, like, tie the door shut. Not telling you which one of it is, but she would then open the window and yell out to the neighbors, somebody come help me. (laughs) She's getting out of that room. Um, As she'll be uh, quick to point out that stubbornness is also can be called persistence. And persistence is what got her through her PhD, right? Persistence is what gets her those publications published if they first get rejected. Persistence is is a big, great character trait. And when it comes to our God, it certainly is. If you haven't figured it out, let's keep looking. Number one, God stubbornly executes his plan through history. Nehemiah's prayer goes back through, or the the Levite's prayer goes back through this. Verse 20, you gave them your good spirit to instruct them. You didn't withhold manna. No, you gave it to them. You gave them water from the rock. You sustained them. They lacked nothing. God's provision was going to get his people through, get them through the wilderness and get them to the promised land. And in fact, verse 22, it says, you gave them kingdoms. They didn't have to dig the wells. They didn't plant the vineyards. God gave them abundance. And in your life, you can testify to that too. God has given us abundantly. More, way more than we deserve. Oh, I know there's been hardships. I know there's been trials. I know there's been things in this wicked world and this broken world that that have oppressed and that that have uh, been difficult in your, I mean, just, I mean, terribly afflicting in your life. I know. We all have. But we also, when we look back, we can see the grace of God. We can see his provision. It says they reveled in your great goodness. How many of us, even during this pandemic, have just been able to say, look at how many good things God has given us during these days. Well, I I don't know why we can't remember and be thankful, but instead... We go back. Uh, Look what he says in verse 26. They were disobedient. They rebelled. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets. They committed awful blasphemies. The people again turned around and did wrong. But God is more stubborn, right? That's how it keeps going. Look at verse 27. You delivered them from the hands of the enemies who oppressed them. But then when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them. Now, you might be thinking for yourself, wait a second, I thought God was always compassionate. Why does he deliver them into the hands of his enemies? God's persistent. God is consistent, and God is stubborn. He's going to have his way, even if that requires discipline. 
We see in the history of the people of God that God would correct them. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. You think this has been a hard year? Why can't we wake up and understand that some of this is actually discipline from God, or at least he's using it as discipline. It doesn't all have to come from him, but he is using it as discipline to get us to turn our hearts back to him. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, but later on it produces, produces a harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Are, are you letting discipline do its work in your life? Are you returning to him with all your heart? I'm doubtful for a lot of us because of how stubborn we are. We're just stubborn. Look at verse 28. As soon as they were at rest, as soon as God did answer them, as they turned back to him, this is the time of the judges. This is the time when <clears throat> the oppressors would come, and yet God would always send a Savior. Uh, as the people cried out in their, in, their, in their difficulties, God would send a Savior. He would rescue them. But look at this. As soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. We are so stubborn. This blows the Apostle Paul away when he looks at his own sin. And in Romans chapter 7, he says, I don't understand myself. The good I want to do, I don't do. But the evil that I hate, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am who will save me from this body of death. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. God... He's more stubborn. Verse 28, And when they cried out to you again and again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. The prayer almost accelerates this, right? Um, we go back to stubbornness in 29. But you warned them in order to turn them back to you, but they became arrogant. They stubbornly turned their backs on you. You kept thinking, we're going to solve this. We're going to get the economy back together. Everything's going to work out now. We're gonna, we're, we're, we get arrogant. We're going we're, we're to make this work out, people. We finally got our vaccines. We're getting everybody. We're going to make this happen, people. We can get back what we've lost. We can't do it. The Lord is God. And all of a sudden, the wind comes. and just It's a breeze. I don't know, a strong one. Jams up the whole Suez Canal. How in the world? I mean, it's just, it's just some wind. We, the arrogant, wonderful humans, we've solved it all. We control nature. No, we just don't. We just don't. We turn our backs on God again. But don't miss this. God's more stubborn. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them, and in verse 31, and in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are gracious and you are merciful. Jesus came. God worked out his plan. He sent his Savior ultimately to redeem us, and he is working out his salvation in us. Um, in fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way in, in Philippians. He says, being confident of this, that he who began the good work will bring it to completion. God began it, he's going to finish it. He, what he started in you, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, he will finish, and he will conform you to the image of his Son. If it takes discipline, it's going to take some discipline. If it takes you just reveling in his glory and loving him and pursuing what, surrendering to his will, then obviously that's going to conform you to God's will. You, you got an easy way and a hard way. You realize that, right? Now, even in the easy way, there's troubles. We're destined for them. 
But I'm telling you, that's the better way. That's the better way, right? So are you ready for Jesus to come? In Matthew 23, um, Jesus says this as he looked again over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Today, in our, as we close our, this message, I've got a simple question. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Now, some of you, you're not ready for Jesus to come because you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You've never received the forgiveness that he purchased for you by his death on the cross. If that's you today, today's your day. Would you ask Jesus into your life? Would you accept him as your Savior? For some of you, you're not ready for Jesus to come because you're being stubborn. You are sitting in your own ways thinking you can still kind of maintain those sins, maintain that rebellion, maintain that just arrogant, selfish, self-centered lifestyle. Guess what? The Lord is going to have his way because he's the Lord and he wants what's good. He wants what's best. And he's not going to be satisfied with your way. He's going to have his way. He's going to finish what he started. You can be stubborn all you want. I just want you to know the Lord is more stubborn. Are you ready for Jesus to come and do his discipline and do his work in your life? Are you saying, yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your truth, we wait for you because your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you ready for doing his work? Are you ready as a church? Changes are coming. Are we stubborn and saying, well, we've got to have it our way? Or are we saying, no, Lord, have your way? Because the Lord is more stubborn. He's going to have his way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the calling. Thank you that you are relentless. Thank you that you are persistent. Thank you that you are consistent. You don't change. Thank you that you will have your way in us. God, come, reign in us. Have your way. We pray this all in the name of the one who was faithful and true and is faithful and true, Jesus, our resurrected King. Amen.